This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go guys what's up welcome to the oak shape podcast oak shape youtube channel today we're bringing on john dudley knock on archery should be a good show we're going to ask him some questions that i had folks email in from instagram and uh, we'll see what he has to say. Get to know how what a season looks like, um, how his business is running, how TAC was, and then get into some tuning questions and just geek out and hang out with the dud man. Now you can't say anything that you don't want uh, on the world wide web. It's pretty rare that that happens, truthfully. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think of this? Um, dude, my mom loves that i get i actually wore that shirt my mom loves roosters and so she always she like gets all these rooster like sculptures and crap and i was wearing that a year ago i think during whitetail season and uh i was kind of videoing my mom because people had never kind of seen her like talk about me you know so i was kind of just asking her random questions and she's just like oh my god i love that rooster what is it and i go it's a tacticock and she's like i want a tacticock <laughs> I'm like, okay, mom. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, very familiar with that freaking rooster, dude. 
Uh, Nanabeth is... was uh, all about the tacticog. Dude, that's cool. Uh, so where's mom live? Is she uh, in Iowa as well? Natchez, Mississippi, man, where I where I cut my teeth hunting down the Mississippi Delta. Mm. Well, technically, Natchez isn't the Delta. Cleveland's the Delta, I guess, down in that area. But um, yeah, down in Natchez. Well, I like to start podcasts off by insulting my guests. So here we go. I here, Here's what I don't like. I don't like how cool your background is, how cool your artwork is, how clean your branding is, and all the little attention to detail. It really annoys me. And that's a compliment. What... Uh, who did the stuff behind you, dude? That is so sick. Um, it really depends. We have an awesome team. Um, I've through the years, honestly, it started back with uh, when Darren and I were doing DVDs out of the car, and I actually did a I did a I podcast today with you did did you really? Oh yeah, yeah. I did a podcast today with uh, with Wayne in the cop, and uh, Wayne was you know I was kind of talking to Wayne, and he goes, I remember when you pulled up in your Tacoma selling dvds out of the car he's like you had literally your whole life was in the car because i did i i put everything i owned hunting wise in my in my truck one year it was actually when i had left matthews and went out on my own so um i had severance pay so i'm just like if i'm ever gonna just drive out west and 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 actually explore every state out west and try to find every over-the-counter tag and just hunt unknowns this is my one chance in life to do it and i did it and i forgot that i actually drove all the way up to the bow shop to kind of pop in and wayne reminded me that and i was like oh my gosh it was kind of sad because it made me realize how much stuff that i forget too um, but on that original DVD, we were actually working with uh, a buddy of mine, Dan, who did, did the first DD uh, hat. And then a person named Antoine, who's been with us since the very beginning. I actually met Antoine and Sharon um, the, on the same trip to uh, Europe to compete in an international event. I met both those guys. Antoine started helping me with those DVDs and the edits with that. And Dan started helping with some of the very first, um, the very first artwork. Um, the logo itself was actually done by Mitch, who uh, is commissioned with Hoyt. Um, he actually did the very first logo. Dan is an amazing artist. Dan did Scully um, based on Sharon. Sharon actually, normally Sharon and I like in, even in here, there's two huge chalkboards. So every room that I occupy has a chalkboard in it. Like at work, there's chalkboards in every single office. We have like, you know, we have three buildings downtown. So every building where I come in and talk to people, there's always chalkboards. There's two chalkboards here. Um, there's three huge chalkboards in the, in the kitchen where Sharon and I do a lot of concepting. And then obviously, and then there's other places that have it too. But um, this is pretty cool. This is, no one's really ever saw the details of this i'll show you so you can you can be the first let me unplug power so um and then and then this whole wall the the entire wall for this particular spot here this entire wall all the way around was actually something that i that we put together um with another one of um are really good they're actually have all been followers to begin with they were all followers that reached out so i mean i'm sure at some time you'll have the same uh, but Tim Jester did a lot of this stuff. So this is actually my personal office. 
Um, this is normally where people come to me, but it's kind of where I occupy. So there's an upstairs too, um, that has a lot of my older inventory and such. But, um, so this is kind of where people see me do content. I'm normally just in my office. So it's pretty nice. Um, I mean, right here, it's kind of some of my tools, tools. I mean, you probably like all this. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, everything I'm a, I'm a very organized, neat freak. So like, I like it. You know, so like here, here's, you'll probably like this. So like, uh -huh. you know, if you like when people, you know, they just keep going and, and going and, and going and, and going okay. and go <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of where I come and, and, uh, I normally come into my office by about 4:45 in the morning or so sometimes earlier and and uh this is where i do things i've got like most of my bows are all over there um and then there's obviously ones downtown too but whatever i'm currently working on is here so right now i'm currently working on the arrow discussion um so with that i actually have been doing a lot of testing with um with arrows with multiple models so there's a rx7 back there there's a phase four back there too. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. That's yeah. a look. Well, it's funny. We were at TAC and um, you were like, hey man, I'm going hunting soon. This is my last TAC. I finally get to like, this is what I'm looking forward to. But I do have a couple weeks of a podcast tour. If you want a pod, I was like, oh yeah, no doubt. It's been a while. Let's get you on. And you've been doing it. But about a week ago or maybe so, by the way, I'm a creator of content not much of a consumer of content as you probably Me too exactly I never, I never have time to consume anything so i got word that you were spitting fire on um the socials about arrows and i got super excited i did watch um part uh, probably a tail end of one where you were shooting in your backyard at 70 yards and you were shooting a couple different manufacturers and you were just like major in the majors don't make i'm paraphrasing folks but basically john was saying major in the majors not the minors like you can't paralysis by analysis on like the minute details of which way your arrow clocks or which vein configuration or FOC. Why don't you just put the freaking work in and you're soaked in sweat. I could see the Midwest humidity and you said you were all coming up on 500 arrows. What inspired you? Um, honestly, being on that last tack and seeing people that went backwards in where they were in archery based on the fact that they were, spending too much time trying to focus on the gadgets rather than the technique and the fundamentals, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I, the guitars are the one thing, like if I'm just, my mind's like clouded with archery, I started trying to teach myself how to play guitar about a year and a half ago. And so, and what I've learned on that is, um, I don't, I honestly don't buy a lot of things for myself. I buy shoes, I buy J ones, and I buy guitars, you know, occasionally. So, but what I've, what I've learned is regardless of how good the guitar is, none of them make me a better guitar player. What makes me a good guitar player is coming in, opening my Gibson app or my Justin guitar and literally just looking at a lesson and working on fundamentals and working on mind muscle connection, mind muscle coordination. And so like with archery, that's the same thing. You know, I've, I've, I actually did a, some coaching today with a few a few friends that are getting ready 
they're higher profile people. So they, they don't really go into shops. Right. And, um, they were sending me some results and asking me, you know, why am I declining? And, and I'm like, okay, one, how far is that? They tell me, and I'm like, two, it looks like it's windy. Yes. And I'm like, dude, it's so important that like, you, just because you can shoot a hundred yards, like if you're going to litmus test yourself based on not shooting great groups at a hundred, that's the best time to just bring it back, make the target bigger focus on the fundamentals and shoot. So at TAC in Utah, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I see a minimum of 10,000 arrows fly just at TAC events, just standing over the top, top of people at my target and watching arrows fly. And I don't remember names, but I remember setups and I remember gear. And so when I see people and all of a sudden I watch this arrow fly and, you know, the arrow's kind of squirreling around this heavy ass point that's, you know, leading the way and the, and the rest. And then they're kind of over here or over there, or the amount of people are like, yeah, I'm just having to hold over this year. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm just like, gosh, this is people are, people are like so worried about this penetration thing that it's starting to take people backwards. So I just had to, I just had to come forward and just say, listen, I just want everyone to be good archers. I want you to shoot. And listen, if, um, you know, I told this to Wayne. So, uh, a buddy of mine told me, he's like, Hey, I'm going to go shoot an elk with my recurve. And I'm like, awesome. He told and like, you know, and he goes and gets one. I'm like pumped. I said, what's the specs on that? He tells me, you know what it was? He, he killed an elk with, 28 pounds of kinetic energy and and no one thinks about that but that's like what a trad bow does right it's like and everyone everyone's just like freaking that's awesome you got one with a trad bow but for some reason when we have something that's 3x that's mm -hmm. ability 3x that ability and we're overkilling it you know it's it's just there's a there's a middle ground and i'm trying to focus people on not sweating the details if they're not in the upper end of their advancement in archery. Have a great setup. Trust a great shop. Buy quality products. Buy arrows that have great straightness. And just focus on the fundamentals of letting arrows go and doing it the same every time. And all these minor details, they really don't even show up for the best of us sometimes. Or if they do, they're, they're measurable only because we're competing at a professional level for score. But when it comes to kill zones, like, you know, you want to be able to shoot the tightest group possible on a kill zone because the reality is that kill zone has the ability to move in a hunting situation. And if, if, if that arrow is going to go right here on the screen every time, and this target has the ability to drop, turn, all this stuff. The bottom line is your arrow has to be able to go right there because if your arrow goes is is possible to go here and this is happening, well, yeah, now this is problematic. So I'm just really trying to to focus on accuracy and telling people, listen, there's a lot of middle grounds on arrows, but there's... We're so lucky because there's so many great broadheads out there that fly really good, regardless of what you choose. You know, this is an ongoing, endless, endless topic that I don't think will ever get solved. 
You know, it's like, um, I just did a interview with, um, outdoor life. They did it. They did, they did a couple different, uh, articles based on, on hunting elk. And, you know, we talked about shot angles and stuff like that. And they actually have a very, very good broadhead test that I looked at. And he told me, he's like, you know, what, and, and iron will did, did exceptional. They, I mean, I think, I think overall iron will was kind of leading that, um, from, you know, the push test, super sharp, obviously. So I'm like, listen, you're, you should be more focused on what broadhead will poundage or what broadhead will deliver the penetration that you want based on the equipment that you're shooting, because our options in broadheads are really what, a, what is going to decide a lot of this stuff that we're spending more time thinking about rather than looking for a, researching a really good head with good reviews that flies as close to a field point as possible and just going out there and knowing where that freaking broadhead hits like that's going to help you more as a bow hunter than any of this other stuff that's that's taking you down some you know some some awkward roads i guess yeah man so like you said uh like you were seeing a lot of high heavy focs at tack and you know not tuned at bows and all sorts of stuff like um where where is this bad information are they they're just getting on the internet like or there's articles or like what where are people consuming maybe... i mean i'm not a consumer i i right. you know i honestly i see it i don't necessarily know where all they get it from I'm, i've certainly heard names and like one of the one of the names that we all know, I'm just going to say Troy, because I don't like going by people's like character names, but you know, there's, and, and, and honestly, what? I know who you're, yeah. Okay. I know Troy and character name. Yeah. But yeah, I know Troy. I've had him, um, I've met him in real life and I've had like a, a conversation with him and I even let him um, come present at an elk shape camp and we allowed, afforded him the opportunity. And that video is on my channel and I love Troy, dude. So before you say anything, I'm going to tell you, like, I I asked Troy in front of everybody and on video, I was like, have you ever killed an elk with a bow? And at the time, he said he had not. And I said, okay. And, and I did that on purpose because I wanted to make it really clear that I still believe, like, proof's in the pudding. And um, I love what he does. And I like that he's got his own flavor. And I think that if anything, he's bringing more attention to archery. So there's a lot of positives with that dude. Yeah. And I think yeah, he's a absolutely. super nice guy, but yeah, I do hear his name get mentioned quite a bit in some of my content. So as you were, sorry to interrupt John. No, that's good. So, um, you know, people, people were immediately tagging him like, uh Oh, you know, here we go. And honestly, he reached out pretty quick and I just made it really clear. I'm like, Hey dude, I've never watched anything you do. What I, what I did tell him is years ago, I was actually contacted by someone at the Ashby foundation and I was actually, someone had dangled the carrot of giving me, I don't know if there's an Ashby award, but this carrot was like dangled in front of me and I was just like, okay, well, uh, what is this? But with that came like, you need to embrace the principles of the Ashby foundation to qualify for this award. And I just, and that was the first time I had saw the chart and I just said, well, Hey, this, this chart, I mean, so much of it tells people they're inadequate. And I said, and, and honestly, if, if you look at, I mean, I'll put you in this, Dan, you, me, Randy Ulmer, 
uh, Joel Maxfield, Wayne Endicott. Okay, I'm just going to do a handful. That handful of people have shot more animals underrated on that chart and had no problems. Like I can just stop there. So I, I don't feel like it was, I feel like it was information and I haven't dove totally down and I just know it's information based off penetration that was needed with traditional equipment on dangerous game, right? So certainly there's applications for that, but there's also a middle ground where people can keep their pins tight they can they can misrange yardage by a, you know a much smaller fraction of a number and you know and with that and also with the arc you know you look at you look at like the arc of the arrow i went back and reviewed some of my older footage and i more importantly i reviewed footage of animals i've lost or didn't hit okay mm -hmm. and the majority of either one of those two have to do with really three things. Um, one deflection deflection. It, it magnifies with arc. Okay. Deflection is one, two misranging. Like, you know, a, a majority of my misses have been in like bean fields, canola, wheat, where you're trying to just get a range of a tine mm -hmm. that's in there and get your sight set and you're just totally just tension on the string for hours waiting for that thing's butt to come up so you can just get back and be ready but a lot of times you're off by a yard or two right so so it's like the slower the projectile and honestly the more open the country the longer the distance is naturally going to be and the more important the flatness of that arrow will be too. So it's like, you know, and that, so that's that. The other thing that's caused my misses are what I've noticed from film when I, and this is like very clear on things like antelope and deer. Okay. Elk and moose are a little bit slower to react, but when you have an animal that's in a broadside position feeding and you take a shot and they freaking come up, you know, they're the first thing they want to do is locate where's the sound of danger. They want to locate. Once they want to locate, then they want to, in my mind, they want to confirm, okay, where did that noise come from? Okay, there it is. Is that danger? Yeah, I got to get out of here. But if they're still like, where did the noise come from? Where did the noise? Okay, now we have a successful hunt. So what I've told people and what I see in footage is when I've shot like, prototype veins or when i've shot honestly some broadheads with a very open vented shape when i see animals turn and then all of a sudden their their eyes go up their their confirmation isn't like they heard a sound they're looking there now all of a sudden they have their confirmation of there is a sound coming at me and that's what and instantly goes full trigger to a string jumper or a string inverter. And, you know, it's that secondary sound. So, yeah, if we can have a quiet bow where they don't necessarily like where they're like, wait, what's that? Okay, done. Which last year I shot a mule deer at a pretty long distance in Canola. Um, I had, honestly, he stood up on me probably four times where I had to let him stand up to get my range. And luckily that happened because 
it, I couldn't really get it when he was laying down in the canola and then he would stand up, he'd find new shade and bed down. Well, there's still a yard or two difference. I was a touch high and I was a touch high because he had actually like when he got up and he repositioned in that bed, once I went up and found my arrow, the bed was actually two yards closer than when he had stood and I, and I was able to peek up and get a good range. So it's like those little things are real life hunting situations to where these factors that I'm talking about is what's going to make people either notch a tag or have the worst feeling of their life. And I feel like more attention to that is more important. So I'm, those are the subjects I was trying to go on. And in all fairness, Troy reached out, he introduced himself. He kind of yeah. said, I go, I go by this name. And I kind of told him, you know, Hey, I'd love to have some discussion. I gave him my phone number. I said, you know, let's, let, you know, let's, I would love to talk. So, um, you know, and, and honestly, I think he's agreeing there's, there is a middle ground, which is awesome. And that was really my start to it. But then once I went down that path, Dan, then it started to become obvious, like things started to refresh in my mind, like, okay, what are all the details of an arrow and a bow that actually make people more accurate? So I've did a few different tests, which, and I, I thought it was important that I shot live um, that I didn't have cuts. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was oh, yeah. really important. Right. And so now these other ideas are coming in my head. Um, this is awesome. Rogan just texts me. Um, he, <laughs> that's great. Sorry about that. He, so today I did a podcast, which is an urgent, urgent message about, um, the archery in the school program funding. Yeah. Uh, I actually did a podcast this morning with with uh, Dan Forrester, who's actually going to Senate today. And I, I sent that link to Joe and I said, please, bro, the archery community needs your help. Please, if you could share this, that would be great. Um, so, yeah. And, and now this podcast is brought to you by Matthews Incorporated, Vortex Optics, Onyx Hunt, Peaks Equipment, Kufaru International. Magview Wilderness Athlete Buck Knife, Crispy Hunting, Stealth Cam, Marsupial Born Primitive, Baku, Black Ovis, and Hard Work. Back to the podcast. Now that I'm like shooting some arrows, I'm I'm like, you know what? I can show people things that that they can do that make a difference and honestly just make them more accurate. So one of the things that's coming uh Th this week is I'm going to actually talk about the arrows that I shoot. There's three of them. I'm going to talk about the what's and why's, which arrow, which arrow should you choose and which arrow do I choose? And then another one that's going to be coming here in the next week is um, I've actually got bows where it, the, the bow will be served with three different serving diameters and I'll be able to show the diminishing. What, no, what are the diameters that you chose? Um, I'm just going to serve with an 18,021 and a 25 and show how those different knock fits will affect different groups downrange. Okay, cool. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I've really, really particular on that, um, number, uh, when I'm doing my setups, I wanted to ask you because you are an Iowa dude and a whitetail connoisseur slash whisperer, and you live and breed and like literally hunt the world's best whitetail, in my opinion, just my opinion. Would you be willing to make concessions on an arrow, i.e. go up in weight up to 100 to 200 more grains 
whether it be tip weight or in the arrow, GPI, what have you, to achieve like more of a guarantee on penetration and or a quieter arrow to improve your momentum and to scratch that Troy itch at all? Would you make concessions on a whitetail or would you consider you'd use the same arrow that you always have done? So, um, part of, part of what happened with, um, part of what happened with this podcast I did about the NASP was it kind of brought me back. So when NASP was very first started, um, our very first curriculum and the very first instructors that were taught were actually taught in our boys and girls club at, at Sparta, Wisconsin. I was in the very first class, the very, you know, it was literally like the fourth person to ever be certified. You know, there are four of us. Rod White helped, you know, with the very first one. Um, and Kevin Stay, who was president at Brennan Industries at the time, which is who made the Matthews bows. I actually took those bows uh, overseas to, what I did was I took the original NASP curriculum and I went overseas and I actually taught that to international shooters that didn't understand English very well to see how well that curriculum would work if there was limitations to translation, which is a very good litmus test for it, right? You'll, yeah. you'll actually, you'll, you'll appreciate this. So uh, there's young dud right there. This was that a leather jacket. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, that was a leather Matthews jacket, by the way. Oh, snap. First of its kind. Look at that, dude. You need one of those. I kind of want one. Yeah. You, you need one. So <laughs> that, yeah, there, so there's the very first students internationally. So what's funny about this is that bow I was holding uh, was that was like my first Genesis right there. And it matched my hat. I killed a deer with that at 17 pounds, dude. I killed a whitetail with a Genesis bow at 17 pounds with a, I think it was a 2216 and a hundred grain steel force head kill the oh. deer so dude what we're talking about is like not even relative to the whitetail world you know and the other thing too is whitetail are highly reactive so long whitetail shots are a dangerous situation you know whitetails what i think what there's always a debate what's cooler like killing a big whitetail during the rut or elk i mean honestly I'm going to say elk, but when a big freaking whitetail comes to antlers and he comes in and his hair's bristled up and slobbers hanging out, dude, just shoot it. You know, if you've got a bow, just shoot that thing. If you have a good head. Now, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to go out there, which I have, I, um, so the very, this goes way back. So the first, uh, expandable broadhead I was personally ever, um, introduced to was a rocket arrowhead and i actually got a flyer in the mail because i had my archery shot the shop at the time it was called ten ring archery i got a flyer in the mail from rocket this was when this was like early 90s okay mid 90s and they actually had a cow on this freaking flyer dude hanging up they had bought a beef cow and shot this thing with broadheads and freaking sent it out. And I called them and I'm like, this is the most ridiculous, horrific thing to represent bow hunting I've ever seen come in the mail. 
and I just chewed the owner's name was Greg. I just ripped him a new one up and down, dude. And he, and so he just said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to use that anymore. I really value your opinion, but can I send you some heads? So he sent me um, some heads. And honestly, I think I still have some in that drawer right there. He sent me a two gallon Ziploc bag with rocket 100s. And he's like, as many things as you can shoot with this, I value your feedback. And so with that came rocket went crazy on expandable cuts, right? I tested mm -hmm. a four inch cut rocket, dude. I tested four inch cut rockets shooting an ACC 360 out of, uh, at the time it would have been a feather max. Okay. And dude, like when you want to talk about questioning penetration, that's when I was kind of like, okay, it, it killed this thing, but that didn't go in very far. So like, obviously there's very big extremes. Like if you're trying to push something like that through, but dude, you grab a Genesis bow and, and take a, an iron wheel and shoot into some gel and you're going to be like, that's a dead deer. Yeah. That's 100%. a dead deer. You know what I mean? Well, last week I said, hey, y'all, I'm going on a pod with Dud. Send in your questions. And we got quite a few. I'm a little bit, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm always honest. I was like a little disappointed in the questions. I was like, "That really? That's all you got? That's what, that's what you want to know? Um, so we'll do a couple. But the other idea I have is maybe potentially I'll just go live on Instagram and get real life questions. But there's, that's always a little scary. You never know what we're going to get there. But I can filter those out. I usually, I'm usually composed. I'm not super afraid of that. Yeah, I'm usually composed. I don't. The one thing I'll tell you is, um, it's hard to. For me, like, I, and honestly, this goes like right to working out. Like I told you, I'm like, dude. I, th I think you saw me and you said like, why don't you ever like show some of your fitness stuff? And I'm like, that's for you for and sure. Cam. That's for you and Cam. I mean, dude, I work out with my son normally in like a shirt like this, like, I, you know, and Harry's Harry's full keep hammering, dude. He's got his sleeves cut off. <laughs> freaking That's awesome. Checking his shit out all the time. And, you know, he's on swole patrol and loving it. And I'm, I'm just like, you know what? My thing is, has always been, I'm, I'm reclusive. I'm in my little zones. Um, yep. Maybe I got that from when I used to be, you know, one of the very few guys that had access to, to Matt McPherson's design lab where he worked on a lot of his stuff. And, and I was fortunate to be the one for, you know, a decade that, that shot that stuff and, you know, checked the tune first and, and, you know, had to bring in paper with like, Hey, here's how it, here's how it would shoot. Um, so I've just kind of been in a little bit, different position and i've never really felt good about like talking about my accolades like i have lately only because i'm like listen a lot of these youngsters weren't even yeah. around when i shot i mean honestly levi was in the youth division when i shot you know he was he was like his i think his grandpa was bringing him to shoots if i remember um like, I remember that part, you know, So and, and honestly, I, I think I looked a lot different then. So 
some people have forgot about that stuff. And I, I don't feel like I did a great job like explaining that, but like that portion of my life, my timeline was literally to be able to have a podium to where I could teach. Teaching's always been my passion. You know, the very first time I started writing was for 3D Times Magazine. I wrote an article called, or I wrote a column. They gave me a column called Rookie on Tour because I lived out of my car. Um, I drove my truck. I had a little Coleman tent that I bought at Walmart. I would set that thing up right outside the practice range and I would sleep at the events until, until Jerry Carter came along and, and allowed me to sell releases with him out of his, out of his 10 by 10. Well, he literally had a table with a silver suitcase on it, dude. Like that's what we were. Jerry doesn't like driving himself or he didn't at that time. I was too young to rent cars. I wasn't allowed to rent cars. So, um, when I started flying to events, because at that, then I started working at Matthews and I had limited vacation. So I would dock Fridays. So I would like get the earliest morning flight out on a Friday. I would drive four hours so that I could get a direct flight into wherever I was instead of flying out of Sparta. And I would fly there. And when I landed, I would literally sit on my bow case at the, at the baggage carousel waiting to see someone else's bowcase come out and i would say can i have a ride to the asa event or ibo event and then you know luckily i met jerry and you know for probably three or four of the first years i actually traveled with jerry and april and i babysat their kids <laughs> um and i would literally hustle releases for them as soon as i came off the range i would get in the booth and hustle releases for them and Jerry, you know, if I sold enough releases, Jerry'd buy me dinner and, and, you know, and then it got to the point where they would pay for a room. And this was like, this was huge for me. And then eventually I started rooming with Dave Stepp and Brian Jones. And then that's when the trouble, <laughs> that's <laughs> when the trouble started. So, um, oh, that's I no, love that history, man. Yeah. I just, um, I've, I've never like been one to kind of like, uh, you know, like puff up unless I feel like. I have to, so that people value the information. Sure. So I'm, I'm like totally comfortable with, you know, if I'm not comfortable, I'll just say, I prefer not to say, but I don't, I really do not like to talk bad about brands. Um, I like to talk about what people do good. You know, like I said, Hey, uh, Bill's a great guy. He makes a great product and his product has evolved. You know, I gave him some feedback on some, you know, I think I, I have a, one of his very first broadheads. He was gracious enough to send me and I gave him some feedback on it. And you know what? It, it might not be because of me, but he's made some changes to that feedback that I think made his product better. So, you know, it's like, I don't want to burn. I don't want to, I've never wanted to burn bridges. I think that's very apparent with, with Matthews and with Hoyt and with PSE um, I've been at some very reputable companies. Every one of my departures has been very, you know, I think positive and, and I try to really set a, I try to set a, I try to set a bar that's a positive bar for anyone that's representing companies and making changes or deciding on another product. I think the best thing to do is just focus on what you do good. Don't focus on what other people don't. I love it. All right. Well, I think we should go live if you're down. Let's do it, dude. All right. Let me uh, see if I remember how to do this. I don't go live very often. All right, guys, we are live. We're podcasting with Jay Dudd. We might bring him on here so you can see, but 
these are your questions. Um, all right, so I'll give you the first one that I got sent in. And a guy was wanting to know, Dud, like he says, his name's Sean, and he says, ask Dud how he shoots a 300 spine arrow with a 30 and a half inch draw at 75 pounds with 150 grains up front. I feel like the spine charts would tell folks to go to a 260 axis. Okay, so first off, hey, buddies. There he is. There I am. Um, so first off, we I actually rewrote the Easton chart. So on the knock-on website, the Easton chart has been rewritten um, based on what I actually found. Because at the time, all these charts were not based on the fact that we had heavy inserts. Um, so some of these heavy inserts... Dad, I got to interrupt you. You, you got to jump in on this so people can see... So you got to jump. We're going to have John join here. and There might be a weird delay. I'll have to turn you down, though. That's All fine. right. I'm, I'm in. Request to join Elk Shapes live video. Send request. Okay. Dude, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're live broadcasting over Don Jr. <laughs> oh, that's, that's going to go well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I hit. Yeah. Okay. So I... in regards to the spine, we're, we're going, we're going. Uh, and I'll I'll tell everyone watching here to uh, jump in soon enough. So, um, so I rewrote the spine chart based on the fact that at the time there was not heavy inserts. So I used to have uh, Darren Cooper and I did a thing on this. Um, we used to actually put screws in the back of some of the first inserts so that we could get heavier weight for a little bit higher FOC. Um, I actually had brass machined for all my ACCs back in the day. Um, so what I've learned over time is some of those original charts, they were based on when, when compound bows first came onto those arrow charts, they recognized compound cams as hard cams. And, and originally a lot of the cams were very hard, especially some of the, some of the hatchet cams. And in the original charts, there was actually soft cams, medium cams and heavy or aggressive type cam systems. And so the more aggressive the cam and the more dynamic force on the arrow, the more you would have to like stiffen that spine cap. Stiffen up a little bit, yeah. Right, so, that, so that's one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is, so if we go back to when some of those charts were originated, we didn't quite know what we know now in the cam development era. So some of the very first cams had knock travel that really varied depending on the manufacturer. And each manufacturer at that time had a different opinion on what it should be. And some had no freaking clue at all what they were even doing. Okay. So I'm going to give you two examples and there's two different theories to it. Matthews wanted straight knock travel. And that was a huge marketing campaign of ours. So we did a ton of footage where we measured the knock travel from the bow at rest to where it got pulled all the way back to full draw. And we plotted that on a perfectly straight line and the draw and the curves of the cam and the draw curve was made so that every single draw length. And that's a big reason why in the very first Matthews, 
there was cams very specific to their draw length. You had a 27 and a half inch cam, a 28 inch cam, a 29. We had to do that because we were at the very first stages of being able to draw a perfectly straight line. And so as that, and, and it was an easy marketing campaign because it's like, if you want your broadheads to go straight, your knock needs to be going straight, okay? Once that happened, well, now the arrow has a very different type of pressure on it. It's being drove straight from the back, right? But then Hoyt came forward and on some of Hoyt's testing, and especially since their engineers are target guys, keep in mind, Hoyt has an engineering staff devoted to target dudes, okay? Uh, what they wanted was a knock travel that slightly rose at the tail end of the curve because what they were finding on lizard tongue style rests where you, you're sitting an arrow on here, that, that downward pressure at the beginning of the cycle forced the arrow to ride that arrow shaft out better without it like literally like kind of skipping. And so on some of the perfectly straight knock travel bows, you would actually have a little more wear on one side of the arrow or one side of the blade because it, even though it was being supported, it wasn't being driven in. Okay. Then at that time, um, Kevin Struthers, it's Kevin, right? Kevin Struthers from Botech. Yep. Um, Struthers came out with the crazy fast Botechs that were just like, how can I put as much freaking pressure on this arrow as humanly possible, right? So when we tested a Bowtech and we actually brought a machine to the ATA show and we invited Kevin over. We Matt literally showed Kevin how to repurpose his cam for better tuning because the Bowtech at that time rose at the three-quarter part of the cycle and then dropped down and then came back to center. So those very first bows were creating, um, one second here. So the very first of those bows were creating an S bend in an arrow like this as it launched through. So when that's happening, the stiffness of your arrow and how, when people are tuning bows and saying, okay, well, a 300 at 70 pounds is not working. We need a 260. Well, when you're factoring in weird knock travels like that, 100%, that's the case. Now, oh, okay. now we have, we have bows. Listen, I think our charts could soften up some because the efficiency of the draw cycle and the cam, and I, I, like there's not very many bows, like the PSE Omen is a speed beast, right? So like that thing, or like, let's say some of the original uh monsters that matthews had let's go back to like you know botex ones or you know even when hoyt had a afterburner okay these are these are things to where 100 percent. like if you're weak at all on that chart it's problematic what i found is on these pse cams when i went to the pse cams they allowed me a softer arrow than when I was shooting some of my original carbon, you know, either my carbon matrix or, you know, some of those other cams. Like, for example, everyone, everyone like Hoyt was chasing speed. They came out with that RKT cam. That RKT cam, it would 100% need that, that stiffness, right? Um, whereas, like, like right now, this Matthews cam, like you can get away with some of those weaker sides. So, 
what I'm doing and why I get away with it is my tune, my arrow pressure on my rest, the knock travel at the position that I'm in. And remember, you know, pe- please keep in mind on that, on that levitate, that was my baby. That cam yeah. system was my baby. I worked with, with Kevin on that. And what Kevin said was, he's like, dude, for whatever reason, because I wanted it wider, I kind of wanted it to where it actually shot like a 34 inch bow, even though it wasn't because of where the strings are coming off the cam once the cams hit their full position. So at 30 and a half, actually at 30 and 30 and a half, that E2 cam feels delicious. Okay. And because (laughs) of that, I can get away with shooting what the chart would say is weak. It's actually perfect. If I go to the 260, it, it starts to open up. So let me, um, I'll just pull this up for you quick. I actually, I'll have a video coming soon. So this laptop right here, um, I went and dug this out of my safe because when I was trying to find some of my historical data, which I have just tons of it, I had to go to this old laptop. Um, So let me just, I'll type in. And hey, you guys on the live Instagram right now, we are going to take some questions. So if you want to stick around we're going to, I'll make John answer questions faster, but this one's too good. We got to take our time on because it's like, but I would love to get some Q and a with y'all. That would be great. I went live with Dan so that you guys can ask some, some good questions. It's probably going to end up being a 17 hour podcast. Let me make sure I plug my laptop in so we don't <laughs> die on people here. Okay. Don't so on me now. I'm going to pull, I'm just going to pull up some stuff so we can show people Dan. Okay. So cool. This is based on a this is based on a method that I had never heard before and I I ended up naming the hill method, okay? This was something that I taught um Olympic and national teams when I when I did that internationally and I would literally take people out. I would I actually traveled around with um so I had at the time the X10 and honestly, the pro tours in that category, the very, honestly, the very first pro tours that I have in here, I tested in 2003. <laughs> okay. So the hill method is based on how an arrow reacts to the spine match to the arrow. So here's an example. Okay. This is the same bow with two different spine arrows and uh, it might be a little hard for you guys to see so two very very different results and and what spine instantly um kind of shows you downrange on paper is that when the spine doesn't match your horizontal grouping starts to expand and so what I would do is I actually had X10s in every size with one inch off the back, two inch off the back, three inch off the back. And then in those same cut configuration, there was 100 grain points, 120s, 130s. And literally I could take people, never even change their bow. They could shoot that entire freaking group down there. And instantly you would know what... uh arrow shaft is more important for you here's a perfect example okay so yeah let me uh let me open this up 
So this was, and you know, hey, this testing is 2003. Okay, so there, right, right there is a, let's see, that would be a 380 spine. This is a 420. There's a 470. Same bow. Same bow. So as it starts to get too stiff, not only does the horizontal line open, but when you have marginal shots, your flyers start to really fly. Okay. So what I do when I'm setting up my bows is I have over here, right over here, like that's my personal batch. So when I set up a bow, I have arrows built in 300s, 260s, 250 spines. And all I do is I'll take six arrows, the exactly the same, and I freaking lob them all down there, dudes. And you'll see pretty damn fast where your starting point is. And to me, this, this should be the arrow chart. <laughs> like if you had an arrow chart where you could type in your specs and it just showed you what would happen that way, then that's, that's a huge, huge difference. So, Hey, John, show that laptop, put that laptop right in the center of your phone frame. People couldn't see that group. That was such a, yeah, that was such a good visual. Okay. Hold on one second here. So I, and what, what distance was this shot at? Yeah. Look at that. There's an example of that is the same bow. And this is actually out of a shooting machine too at 90 meters. Um, so there's the same bow showing three different spines and three different results without moving the bow. Okay. Um, so let me see. And you can, I'll, uh, so to answer that guy's question, um, that's pretty much, uh, why I can do that. So, I mean, this is, this is a uh, pretty dang, sorry, everyone. I know you're you're listening, but um, let me go in here. So, John, why don't you sell at Knock On uh, like a little test kit where you get like three arrows, three axis set up at 300, 350, and maybe you already do. But do you guys sell like a little test kit where they could tinker and, and test for themselves and figure out? The that sounds like that sounds it like used to good... work there. Okay, so let me let me enlarge the. Wait, I might be able to find. I'm I'm pulling up an article right now. Um, whereas I think I probably have, uh, I probably have all the original documents. But I think this stuff is like honestly, when you do podcasts, like this is the stuff that people absolutely a hundred percent. When you see this, this is the stuff that really starts to make a difference. But more importantly, it really starts to educate people on you know, what's going on. Sorry. I'm just, let me look here. I'm trying to figure out this laptop's so old. I'm trying to remember where I kept everything. Okay. Here's photos. All right. I'm just going to like, I'm going to thumb through this. I don't even know what's all in this. This is, this is, this is just, this is just an, this is just a folder called arrows. This is all arrow grouping. Okay. That is only people... testing. So that right there, dude, is a day where I only tested the color of veins because the green paint in this particular brand, I won't, rem I won't 
say it, but the material itself was actually slightly heavier. Okay. Like here's, here's the stuff where people worry about, well, that's like when I practice in the winter, I don't even know what these photos are. I'm just going through. Be uh, careful. <laughs> there's the end of a hill day. That's 90 meters, dude. Okay. There's some of your very first shafts. Um, these, okay. Here's another, this was a day of testing right here. So here's another day of hill. And this day of hill right here was actually based on two things. It was based on point weight and arrow, and then also stiffness of the knock and how the stiffness of the knock affected the hill as well. Okay. Um, I showed you guys that picture there. There's the end of a day, um, you know, finishing my tune. So this bow I actually took to uh, a world field. Um, this particular bow it was a setup that I need. I wanted more speed. Again, res ending results. These are just documentations of like, you know, vein configurations, fletch configurations. Um, but as a hunter, let me just try to find. Yeah, some people are asking, is this being recorded? You know this. Let me show you a little like behind the scenes of my ghetto studios yeah we're rolling so if you guys got to go back to work this will be now this pod won't drop for a while probably a month or so but it okay is... here here's a, here's another great one dan so here is a bow and and so here's how the hill here's a way that you can easily do the hill method okay and i'm going to do a video on this anyway so how you can affect an arrow by approximately three quarters to one spine size is just under four pounds of pull weight. Okay. So what I did was I took a bow and an arrow that I have. And then what I do is I reduce the poundage about three and a half pounds and I will shoot a group again without moving anything. Don't change any variable, but one. Okay. So this was the end result, right? Okay, right. this was after decreasing the poundage on this particular bow by three and a half pounds. So like in this case, let's say I thought this spine was perfect for 75 pounds. And then I shot the group, which was actually this. Okay. And I'm like, wait a minute. When it starts to flatten out and you know you don't have facial pressure or grip pressure inconsistencies, this is an indication of spine. And for me, this downrange is way more critical than a bear shaft tune or even a walk, like walk back tuning gets you close where you know your arrow settings right. And, and here's the thing, all of those things, if you do them right, they usually get you here, but this is a faster way. It's literally like, this is the arrow I think I want. I wonder if I had a stiffer arrow, what'll happen? Take three and a half pounds off, four pounds off your limbs. And all, all of a sudden it's going to be low because you just dropped a weight. But if all of a sudden it goes like this, okay. Now what I need to do if I want to shoot 70 pounds is now I need the next size stiffer or I need to have less insert weight. So for some of you out there who are shooting extremely heavy points, hell, 50 grains will instantly show you these same results so there's a bow and there's a bow same bow same person same arrow 
This is arrow's reaction to bow. Okay. They're like this picture down here actually became, became pretty well shared. Okay. That, that bottom picture, because that was literally me taking four different kinds of arrows, properly hill testing them, knowing where my sight mark was, and then shooting a group with four different shafts out of the same bow without moving anything. Okay. So, yeah. That, that is tinkering. That is some tinkering. I love that. And uh, so would you say, is it safe to say, trust the spine charts, but verify with some laboratory work? trust everything but verify dude gotcha yeah dude that's great information y'all um all right john we're gonna take a a small guys we'll go for a few more minutes um i'm gonna take a break from archery just for a second because these guys consume yeah we got questions yeah we got we got to hit some of these questions we got to talk about a uh, number of veins on the back end uh because i think you and i see things differently also i just got to ask you based on on the spine part is there so technically there is a such thing as going too stiff. Like, yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Right. Right. Drink too much water. You'll die. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well said. So let's talk about three veins versus four veins. I saw that on there. I typically try to keep three. I feel like if three veins can't do the job, something's wrong with my choice and or technique. Uh, but you like four veins. Do you want to talk about the differences and when there's advantages or differences um, on vein configuration. Now let's stay away from vein configuration. Let's talk about number of veins. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about all of it, but, um, right. I actually have a very good friend. Uh, he's, he's kind of a, a behind the scenes engineer and he actually can tune broadheads with two veins, like someone I've never seen, dude. So I believe it. Um, listen, the Sonics we have are three veins. A, a lot of what I've ever killed is three veins. Um, but here, here's where the difference comes in. Where the difference comes in is there's a lot of people out there that don't build only one setup and that's all they go with. There's people that have multiple broadheads and a quiver, even though like that's a little bit scary for someone who doesn't <laughs> do homework, right? Right. It's not as scary when you have more steering. Okay. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is if you think about the helicopter that they used to kill bin Laden, right? Quietest helicopter ever. Did it have three, three, three freaking propellers? No, I uh, know <laughs> because it, you don't want to, if you're chopping air and if there's like space between veins, that's sometimes what makes this the vein have a more audible sound there's different there's actually sure. two different characteristics to it so and you know like i can pull up another picture here while i'm talking but the four veins what when i shoot four what i like is i like the front of one vein to align where the airfoil of the rear vein would begin does that does that make sense so that yep. it's literally turning air like a ceiling fan that you have that has four or five, uh, you know, blades on it. It's quiet. You know, you look at a hunter fan or whatever. A lot of times the quietest ones have that. And so when it just comes to an audible sound, I like the four fletch for that purpose. And also we are sending arrows to people where we have no idea who's tuning their setup. We have no idea what broadhead they want to shoot. And the bottom line is, 
it lets more people get away with more assortments. So, you know, it, th- listen, three, every single medal I've ever won was with three, dude. Like, but I never, I never worried about sound, you know? And, and I was also, I also shot veins that were a serious pain in the ass to get to stick on. I mean, you know, <laughs> like I had a timer. Every vein took 23 minutes to fully cure before I could move it because I had to, you know, you can't go somewhere. You can't travel 20 hours in a plane to shoot for a medal and you only have 12 arrows to freaking make it or break it and one vein ejects. So there's certain materials that are quieter. There's certain shapes that are quieter. Um, but certainly, you know, on my, on almost every arrow I want to metal with was no more than one and a half degrees, 1.5 degrees, because the faster it's turning, the faster it'll decelerate too. Yeah. And I've seen that I've actually done some testing, um, for a antelope arrow and I have a video coming out on that, but I, totally went away from a crazy helical for this particular arrow to go to like literally one and a half degrees uh and actually i went to the right which my arrow clocks to the left or whatever i don't pay attention to that too much uh and my groups tightened up my groups tightened up quite a bit for that particular arrow um let's talk about spine alignment finding the stiffest spot on an arrow um, I'm really big into skipping the foreplay, if you know what I mean, when it comes to arrows. And if so, if I don't need to knock tune, if I don't have to bear shaft through paper, then bear shaft tune out. Like I try to get to the end, which is a lot of time for me, a big, chunky, fixed broadhead. And I just shoot it with a fill point and double check tune that way. But a lot of guys get really hung up on spine alignment finding the stiff, do they have their cock vein aligned with the weakest spot of the arrow, the stiffest, take it wherever you want, John, but I would love to hear your insight. Yeah. Yeah. So actually just as I'm sitting here, um, going through these pictures again, I have this laptop was from a 10 year stretch from like 2002 to 2012. I have another laptop in IBM, um, that, doesn't really want to power on which was during all of my time with matt um but as i'm just looking through here okay this actually just came up so this was actually a test that i was doing on there's the circumference uh the circumference consistency this that particular arrow looks like it was on one of the very first hex, which has now evolved into a sonic, which is a, a thicker walled hex. Okay. But there's some testing I've done. Um, like here's an example of like data that I'd send into this was on one of the very first infused carbon axis that I would send into Easton. So this was like me testing the straightness, you know, I, tr- I, I kind of built this machine to where I could s- test the straightness at like 10 different points on the arrow shaft. So here's the thing. If you have an arrow shaft that you don't pay a lot for, and it has a three thousands plus or minus straightness, knock tuning is going to be an issue that you might want to pay attention to. Probably the, the thing, the time saver would be to mark every arrow and any arrow that's not shooting within that group turn the knock 90 degrees, shoot it again, see if you can bring the knock back in. That'll prevent you having to float everything because the bottom line is 
plus or minus three thousands is actually um that's the high and the low end and there's not going to be there there might be like three of those in your batch you know there's probably gonna be like if if you don't if you buy cheap arrows there might be like three of those then there might be four or five of the of ones that are two thousandths and then you're gonna have some that are great so a match grade arrow is literally easton is doing that for you they are literally taking an entire batch of arrows and see our arrows are, are knock on axis. It's mandatory for me that when they build these, they start with brand new spools of carbon for the entire run because I want the same epoxy and I want the same exact carbon from that roll. I don't want any roll changes. So like our match grade axis is a three mile arrow that is cut every 33 inches from this same exact spool, then they will go through this test so that they're going to weed these things out for you. So it's like for an extra 30 or $40 for someone, ask yourself the question, is me floating these arrows and having to fletch them all worth the time and effort when Easton or gold tip or, or, um, uh freaking what's the eagle arrow damn it mccarthy's and is there um so like a lot of these arrows right yeah vap same example you get it you get a plus or minus one thousandths vap the way yeah. some of these the way some of these are processed listen on an on an aluminum arrow let me see if i can grab one and when you say float john like you're talking bathtub floating to have them like to mark the stiffest correct yeah, <laughs> I've definitely seen people tell people to do that. Listen, okay. you, you can float it and yeah, the heavy side, but here's the thing. Some of the older, like some of the older arrows, think about it like this. Here's branding for you, dude. That's a that's that's folders for kids in school. So some of the some of the older carbons, right, were rolled like carbon sheets and they were rolled yep. like so where that seam is that would then get sanded down, but technically there is a high ridge right there. The way these arrows are actually weaved now, that is way less, way less important. And then when, if you go yeah. with a match grade, the consistency of spine consistent, like when you hear match grade, it's not just weight. This is straightness, spine consistency, and weight tolerance. So it's like you are spending an hour floating arrows and then fletching all these things and paying attention to it when that's an hour you could have went and practice. So if you, mm. if you look on an, on an, and I don't know if you'll be able to see it. it might be really hard. Hold on. Let me see if I can get the angle just right. But on a black aluminum arrow, I'll put my fingers on it. If you look, there's actually, you can see that right in the dead center. It's not the glare spot, spot, but there's actually a silver seam, which is where that aluminum arrow is welded together. So in this case, where I can clearly see a seam, sure. there's my cock vein, okay? It's an arrow that shot for like team trial right here. So... You guys out there, if you're going to save money on arrows, then you need to spend time. If you're going to spend money, you save time. That's my advice. I love that, man. And you could put your time into practicing and honing your game and kind of back to, to invest it. 
Dang, that's cool. Yeah, honestly, um, I love this conversation. Guys, I don't want to stay live forever, so I have to be you got good, you got a good amount in there but yeah you're probably you want to say you want to save you want to save the nugget ask a few questions from the live people because they joined in okay. so Let's yeah give me a few pick a few pick a few questions from people out there okay fire at the hip um, all right so i'm going to find the first good one hunting stories would like you to come on this podcast i know him and i'll vouch for him he's a good dude uh see cheers from montana our stock knocks on fmj's good um, or should he go for like an aftermarket knock? That's from Captain and Skipper. Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you right now. I've uh, um, Nick Fisher at AAE is is one of the most freaking knowledgeable people on this subject of any human I know. <laughs> and next in line for that would be Werner Biter from Germany and now Werner is taken over by Andreas. Okay. Um, these people have the precision that is insane, but let, let me just, um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you what I like now on an axis and an FMJ. The short answer for you is that is one of my favorite stock knocks period. My favorite stock knocks are an X um, a 3D Super, if you're shooting an aluminum, which the 3D Super has this configuration right here, which has a soft tail, has an indention for your knock to fit, and it has a way more robust midsection right here. What you don't want is a knock that has flex, okay? And so this, this actually comes into... Uh, can you give me a second? You take over. Look for another question. Let me just be right back because I want to show people this. It's right. important. That's as cool. Yeah. Okay. It says need MFJJ on here. I agree. Where are you, MFJJ? This was not planned. I didn't plan on going live with John. I'm going to blame him. Um, Justin Walski, I want to say what's up. Um, he wanted to know the four vein max stealth with the wrap. Is that enough to change spine dynamics? I like that question. Okay. We'll come back to that, Justin. People ask me about four millimeters all the time. Listen, I love, I love the flight characteristics of a four millimeter arrow shaft. Here's what I don't like. What I don't like is I actually feel that lighted knocks should almost be a mandatory thing for hunters because the recovery rate is so much. There's two things that are critical to a lighted knock impact assurance because when things happen fast especially in elk dark timber dan where you're at if i mean how hard would it be in that dark timber to know where you hit especially sometimes when 100%. you don't have another guy or you don't have a camera you're like man you whirled fast i don't know what happened the back of my arrow is laying right there no don't know what the freak a lighted knock in your mind it'll take a snapshot of damn, that looked a little bit far back, which is actually what happened on my moose that I shot. When he stood up, I couldn't see his leg. I could see his hump. I knew the hump was a danger zone straight down from the hump. So I went back where I had a nice hole. Okay. This is, this is a Shiras I shot last year. When it hit, I thought, oh, that's a little bit back, but it's for sure liver. It's a dead bull, you know, especially with a two inch, you know, I shot a two inch freaking expandable. And it, and it, you know, buried that far, like that's a dead bull. 
but I also didn't pursue very fast. I took high ground. I got confirmation of where he was laying down. And honestly, he was like hurting. I went up there within like a couple minutes. I ran up the hill. I spotted right where he was. The lighted knock was sitting there like that. I literally low light. I, I'm like, boom, there's my bull. There's my bull. And then I could pick my navigation route. I went in there and honestly, he, he, I freaking gave him another one. But when I field dressed him, neither of the arrows were behind the diaphragm. That was a, that was a dead bull. But hmm. seeing that arrow helped me know where he was. I didn't walk up there and spook him. Um, and I was able to have a clear visual. So like for me, part of ethical, part of ethical hunting is, is proper recovery. And I think aiding in recovery is critical. So I think the shot confirmation is critical. And here's the other thing I think is important. This is really important for new bow hunters and new archers. So, uh, I spent a lot, I spent years trying to get permission on this farm in Wisconsin I worked up there. I hunted public land. I knocked on doors. You know, I was like hunting just some of the crappiest stuff because I was just getting permission. Well, after multiple years and also helping during dairy, during dairy harvesting time, you know, I'd go there and milk cows for this guy. He started letting me hunt. Okay. Well, I go out hunting one day, uh, starts to get a little bit dark. I don't see any deer around, but here comes this coyote. This coyote comes in and I'm like, I'm going to freaking smoke this thing. So I freaking shoot and I shoot this coyote runs off and dies. By the time I go and find the coyote, um, it was too dark to look for my arrows in an alfalfa field. So the next morning, as soon as I had my lunch break at Matthews, I drove out there and I went to look for my arrow. And as soon as I pull up that freaking alfalfa is cut for like 70 yards from the field edge out and as soon as i parked my car and i'm just like oh man i hope i can find it i start walking and here comes the farmer on his quad just and he literally has the back end of my arrow and he says was there a blade on the front of this he said because this is out of my cow trough i just cut fresh alfalfa you just cut silage and fed it And I'm just like, uh, and luckily I went out and the arrow was in the ground and he had cut it off. So I was able to say, no, sir. And so this was actually an article of mine about not only how to get permission, but how to keep permission. Finding your arrows when you have permission to hunt is such Mm. an important part of being an ethical bow hunter. And, And as a new hunter, just because you know, make a valiant effort to find your arrow because you don't know what type of machinery or livestock could interfere with that arrow. And you can end bow hunting for anyone who gets permission on that property that fast. Okay. So that's what, that's the other reason why a lighted knock is so important. Here's what I don't like. Four millimeter arrow, lighted knock. So see that? That's why I will not shoot a four millimeter arrow. Because regardless of the knock brand, if you want to shoot a 80 pound bow or a 75 pound bow, this is an accuracy destroyer. Okay. That's why I don't shoot four millimeters. It's not because I don't like, listen, the benefits of that ballistically are awesome. 
But again, if I can't be accurate with it, why am I going to throw something down there? So here's the truth, man. Like I love lighted knocks like for hunting, but I don't, I don't trust them. Like I don't trust the consistency. Like that's where the energy goes to the arrow first. So what, what do you recommend? And I, I'm sure you have a recommendation, but people ask me all the time and I just say, I kind of steer clear of them. But if you kind of convince me otherwise, what, what have you found to be the most consistent, reliable? Well, the ones that I'm shooting right now, and listen, there's, there's a couple good ones. I, I kind of, honestly, I base the ones I choose on serving fit. Okay. Absolutely. Like, there, there's a knock over here that, that I just ordered because I was intrigued by it. I got it in and I actually reached out to the, to this manufacturer and I said, this is an awesome air. This is an awesome knock. You didn't spend enough time matching the molds so mm-hmm. that someone can put this knock in and literally only have to re-zero the height difference due to the weight. Serving fit is like so critical to where I told them, I'm like, I don't want, I either need a, I either need 50 knocks to get through the whole hunting season and shoot these on my practice arrows at camp and every single thing. 100%. Or I can't shoot them. So um, I'll show you two different ones here. And and so this is the sad part about this too. Um, the sad part is like for nocturnals, these two are actually nocturnals. Um, the color, the clarity of that plastic reflects the batch. My experience, uh-huh. the cloudier it is, and listen, there's some there's some fakes out there. Yeah, see, dude. See how this is cloudy? The cloudier it is whatever reason that batch of plastic is more pliable than than this one is stiffer and so this is this is an x size so like look this is good to go dude this is a uninock okay this one also good to go i mean i'm pushing i'm pushing pretty hard but certain ones that's really what you want to look for and the thing is the higher your poundage or the lower your draw or the longer your draw length or the more aggressive your cam, the more that stuff will start to magnify. So what I would just tell people is this, listen, if you see a lighted knock that you like, the best thing you can do is see how your bow shoots with field points with a stock knock, put on a new knock or put on your lighted knocks and see if your groups are the same. They're going to move. You know, the basic rule, anytime you change anything, you've changed everything. So if you put a new knock on a serving that has a slightly different fit, it's going to change what happens. So the bottom line is, how does that new product that you have group? If the group is the same, move it. If it opens up, you've gone backwards in accuracy. At that point, you want to go forward. Okay, that makes, that's cool. And I, my buddy Josh, he showed me two weeks ago some four mil lighted knocks that he had found, and I suck. I can't remember the name. I wish I could have found out what they were, but he was like, man, these actually might work because you're right. Four mils have been tough, and I've really loved running um, the pro comps, quite honestly. like That's my favorite little bougie arrow. What other good four mil options do you recommend? Like, let me ask you this. If you had to choose pro comp versus the Easton long range, do you have a winner? Each has their own individual application or another brand. I don't know. Like some of this stuff, like listen, pro comps an an awesome arrow. I freaking go through arrows, dude. I mean, I go through a ton (laughs) of arrows 
And what I tell people is, you know, you can get, you can get a really quality axis or honestly, like those Sonics that we have are a match grade Sonic with a preset three fletch. I showed people how they group. They group the same as my axis. They're just not, not as heavy and they don't have as guaranteed of a, of a straightness. But I honestly feel like if you're, if you don't have that much money to put into arrows like that, some of these people would be better off instead of getting a, a mid-level bow and then going like crazy high-end arrows. Listen, match grade arrows pre-fletch. Do not overlook these these options. I mean, we sure. pre-fletch with vinyls and four-fletch. Like that's what we offer, and it's it's literally the three arrows I shoot. Whether I'm at tack, whether I'm shooting my indoor, I shoot those 365 a days a year. I shoot those three arrows. But the things that I don't like about like a four millimeter is I don't like prolapsing my bag targets. So any type of outsert and bag targets are kind of a, you know, a no-no and no yeah, it's a no-go. And the thing is, I don't know what kind of target is going to be at the hunting camp I go to. I don't know what kind of target, uh, they're going to have, you know, I don't know what kind of target they're going to have at an, at an archery event I'm going to go to. So, you know, I just try to go with something that's, that's a smooth bore, and, and pulls out easy now listen with with the the pro comps and the x10s in a competition life you had to have ballistic uh like superiority so let me i've never showed this let me pull this up quick this was something that i only did in presentations to uh olympic and national teams or or at like a coaching summit um but let's see here. Be under seminars, maybe seminars. Du, 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 du. Um, let's see. Um, and you can take another question too. I've got. To, I'm gonna have to pull this up, but I think you guys are definitely gonna want to watch it. I think you're definitely. Yeah. Here's what I'll tell you guys. Uh, we will do. This is where we're gonna finish, and then I want to ask John on live an overview of his hunt schedule, his fall schedule, so we can kind of get a teaser as to what he's setting out to do. And then, to be honest with you, this pod is not going to drop till I get home from elk hunting, which is open-ended. So, it'll be... Dude, I... Come on, man. Make the people wait. Good, good no. things No. No. <laughs> Send me the file, dude. I'll post it. All right. I'll All right, post fair. it. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I'm on, like, PowerPoint freaking... It's like, we have to open this PowerPoint or you will not see it. Where's your first hunt while you're looking, John? Uh, my first Very hunt first. will be in Alberta. Yep, always Alberta. Yeah, I did. Uh, do you go with the same group of guys every year? Is it different? Do you go after last year? You slayed a bunch of animals in Alberta. Some years you're hunting elk in Alberta in the river bottoms. Some years you're hunting mule deer. What are you going to do this year? So when I go to Alberta, I buy five tags. Um, I've got a pretty good. I've got a pretty good relationship with a outfitter up there that they're like family to me. I go with Red Willow Outfitters. And, uh, I've got a pretty good deal with Todd. I've hunted up there so long. And like I said, they're like family to me. I've been up there 20 years. So I actually buy five tags. And then two of my closest friends that actually were like some people I credit with what I've learned in the backcountry for sure. Dusty's dad, but he's like my, both of these guys are like my brothers. Right. Um, they're from BC. So they can actually get a guide's license in Alberta. So it's pretty sweet. They get a guide license. I've got a real shitty uh, camper that I keep up there. 
they bring over three float boats and you know we normally do you know last year if you saw my hands i think we did like 100 miles on the river and, and about 150 on foot and we just hunt we i have permission on some open field so if we see a muley out in a field and i know who it is i'll go knock on the door and see if i can do a stock um, some people we just got permission to walk through the fields to get to the crown land where it dives down into like the peace yep. river and stuff and dude we just we just go still hunt i'm normally calling for elk first and foremost but we're glassing a lot and if we see a whitetail bear moose mule deer elk uh then i i go for it so that here's this is a very old presentation uh one that i would have done for you know a national team or dang it or an olympic team uh let's see sorry thought i thought i had that i was trying to see okay here here i can do it this way um i hope so this was all like this was all presentations on on arrows based on seminars that i actually used to do for easton you know for easton at some of the training centers so right so like okay here let's see so here's several shafts you probably some of them you may recognize uh, pro tour that right there was like one of the early concepts to your pro comp uh the pro field is actually the is the pro comp that's that's yeah. been changed um so so part of this data like some of this data let's see this would be so this is every arrow that i just showed you with different point weights and this shows you the ballistic drop and how these arrows retain energy at the longer distances. So the smaller your margin from full acceleration to deceleration, the tighter and more consistent your group will be downrange. So this is based off not only diameter, but also speed, okay? Um, let's see if we can go further here. So, um, so like these are like graphs made on like downrange ballistic coefficients of an X10 versus a Pro Tour, which at the time was really important because one of the really hard things to tune an X10 was the fact that it was barreled on both sides. Okay. Oh, so okay. It, it was small, tapered in the middle, barreled down, but they were designed, the ACE and the X10 were originally designed for our Olympic recurve shooters. And it's why the X10 is why we dominated the Atlanta Olympics uh, was because we were the only team with them. Um, but the problem is with a compound bow, and especially during the early 2000s, because of those weird knock travels, and that's part of why like Hoyt started to play with it, was they knew they had to drive that knock, the knock point down as it cycled through because the shaft got skinnier too, right? So there was this really difficult tuning era where some people did not know how to tune an X10 because it was, it was a barreled shaft. Mm. Okay. So the pro tour came out because the pro tour is tapered in the front and then it is fully parallel at the entire back side of the shaft. So one of the things that was critical was because we've paralleled the back to take the stiffness of the thrust of the compound bow will this arrow still have the ballistic coefficients downrange? Uh, which the answer was yes. By the way, dude, you're doing a good job like retaining that many people watching for this long. That's very, very uncommon. So yeah. 
here's tables and these are things that i that i had the you know james park did an amazing research project testing let's see it was 5 10 and 15 meter a second crosswinds and out of a shooting machine testing the the horizontal wind drift of all five of the major arrows that were available and how those drifted at every single distance with five, 10 and 15 mile an hour winds. So that's why it's like, listen, I haven't opened this laptop in 10 years. Jeez. And so when, when people try to tell me something that I've forgotten about, <laughs> that's, that's why I took it. You know, that's why I've like taken it kind of personally because you know, a lot of this had to do with like some of the, you know, some of the very first shooting machine testing, um, just, I don't know, all the different things like, you know, I would talk to them about Knox, <laughs> like what Knox did, right? Um, so just, just to go through, you know, knock to string tension, this is very important with lighter weight bows or weak string tension, women, kids, anyone who backs their, lim their limbs out, this is even more critical because it will pull your string into that string stop and cause that knock to drive down. So if, it, if the arrow can pull the string more than 1.5 centimeters without releasing it, it's too tight. Okay. Mm. Um, so then I go into a presentation about custom strings, the importance of, of replacing knocks. We replace knocks the day before every single official practice day. We oh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like you can wear out a knock. So if you haven't replaced knocks and honestly, the smaller and the more flexible your knock, you know, it might have a little bit, it might have a little bit more, um, forgivability, but it'll also wear faster. So that's like yeah. some of the things that like Nick at AE is so awesome because when he makes a product, he's like diving deep into this stuff. But yeah, this is like, I mean, this is so when Nick from AEE came over to my house, he hung out for like three days straight. And we just like, I'm like, dude, we're making content for three days straight. That dude's a wizard. And I had never really dicked around with torque tuning. Like I, I've heard target archers talk about it, but I'm like, what is this? We did it. And, uh, wow. Do you, so do you do torque tuning on your hunting setups? I mean, I've done a ton of it, but I've also there comes a point where I know I can do it, but I also know the average to where right. once again, so like here was actually testing. This was like some testing and what we showed based off the results of poor drag or poor clearance. So if poor clearance in your arrow is doing what I said, a lot of people's attacks were doing where they're having the point is leading the way, like a freaking shot put going through the air, but the back of the arrow is like this ribbon, just kind of like taking it what happens is your groups, you know, they start to do this and they get worse at the longer distances. Yeah. There's normally a barrier right here. And once you cross that barrier, even though people say, well, I'm only a white tail hunter, you're right. You're totally right. If you're a white tail hunter, you know, 30 yards or less, dude, get after it and stop sweating. Yeah. The, stop sweating the details. If you're a Western hunter, if you think you're going to go out for antelope, more importantly, if you've ever actually hit an animal and it doesn't pile up on the first, you know, right then, then guess what? You need to be able to make a follow-up shot. And a lot of, 
my recovery, regardless of how good of an archer I am, is based on the ability to like not take a chance and drop a follow-up shot in there. Like that's part of your responsibility, not just because I want to do it. So, so like that, that kind of showed that stuff. So here's, here's what I came up with, Dan, in regards to torque tuning. I've done it a ton of different ways. If you go back and look, if you can find any pictures of me or video of me competing, um, you know, when I competed, I never had my sight all the way in front of my bow because I did, I did torque tune. So I've kind of found a relationship where because the arrow rest isn't as far back on a hunting bow as like a target archer, I would have a full trophy taker or a full lizard tongue two inches behind because again i'm ch i'm i'm chasing ballistics that i want that i have to have because of those tables i just showed you i yep. have to have those ballistics but when i chase that shaft the reason the x10 is so beneficial is because it is the smallest diameter made in the heaviest mass weight so it is just a wind cutting freaking son of a bitch but it's a bitch to tune and the shorter you can make that thing, the more speed you will get out of it. And the less arrow shaft you're trying to tame the freak down. So I would shoot a rest that was further back to try to minimize how much of that arrow right. shaft I was trying to manipulate. So in a hunting situation, what I've done is I keep my rest, like all my rest, like my offsets or honestly, like the little PSE block that fits into the QAD that pops into the riser that puts that in a position to where if you match that to the exact length of the spot hog NE that I offer, I have torque tuned for you. Okay. That's, yeah. That's exactly what I found is those, that ratio, that distance. Cause man, I, well, think of it like this. So, okay. So if I, if I'm holding this arrow here and, and let's, let's say I torque the bow in my, my front sights over here. Okay. Well, I don't know that I've torqued the bow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to aim to where my points on. So the, the purpose of toy of torque tuning is if you torque the bow, what you want is you actually want this arrow rest that's supporting the arrow offsetting your false aim so you're literally by making those distance from the pivot point closer to the same you're minimizing your your deficiency so that's why when i see these guys with the new phase four and the freaking you know the block that's mounting right on the dovetail and then they want to have this cool sight out in front you're killing yeah. yourself. All yeah, of your is magnified. Literally, I can vouch. For, I can vouch for that because I've we tested it, man. And I, the compression really. And when you think about torquing, I don't torque my bow. If you're a hunter out west and you're crawling through the sage, being a ninja, and you're gonna take a shot in the silo or up on a steep angle, you're probably gonna torque your bow in the heat of the moment. You need that forgiveness so i am sold on it man i'm glad that and you explained that very well with your visual aid so if you all don't know about torque tuning i'm going to volunteer dudley to do a whole video series on it coming dude, soon dude i want to go hunting i'm i think i've gone on enough <laughs> freaking rants but yeah i mean all i want is to 
make archers better by learning from all of my horrible mistakes that no one ever could freaking explain to me that that's the, that's the truth. So listen, you know, that inline design is awesome. Okay. Like Matthews did a great job on that. I'm pissed. PSE did not listen to me when I wanted to put the pick rail on the NTN. They're mm -hmm. like, no one's going to buy in on that, but it's, it's a good design, but here's why it happened. Why it happened is because Matthews had to thicken their risers. And when they thicken their risers, now most sites out of a box would, would not go far enough left because the, the, because the riser was so much thicker, standard blocks are now sitting over here, okay? And they couldn't get their sights. So naturally, Matt's like, well, I love this freaking design. Let's make it easy. Let's get, and the arrow rest was the first problem. That was the biggest problem. Like, forget about sights. Sights actually, you can right. have way more movement. The first problem was the rest. And that design came out on the rest, guaranteed for their ability to bring things back to center. Matt loves the details. He loves clean, 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 which is one of the things like when I do a, a model for PSE, that's why there's like little details, little bitty details. Um, he wanted it clean, so he did that. Well, then once that happened, then the next thing was sites. But he also, I'm sure they needed a year to convince the site companies, get some people to sign some NDAs and, and actually have product ready ahead of time so that they could meet Matthews for that system. And then once that system came, well, now every boat company is like, oh, damn, we can beef up our risers in the center point, which is, you know, which was kind of a, a weak point on some of these risers where they're trying to really thin them down and everybody's battling the weight gain. You know, the, so there, there's just so many things in the industry that's like cause and effect. And although that's awesome to have them in line, bring it in, dudes, bring it in. Bring it in. Your pin gap, your pin gaps get much tighter too when you bring it in. Guys, uh, we did not plan on going live. We went live forever. We're gonna tune out. I got another podcast to do right after this, and it's in ten. I gotta say goodbye to John. This podcast won't drop for a little while. Uh, John Dudley, thank you. For... Are you gonna post this part to get people? Are you? Gonna, oh yeah. Are you gonna ditch it? Yeah. You gonna save it? Are you no. gonna post it? I guess. Tell me about going live. It's been a minute. Do I just hit save and post? Dan, I'll tell you what, you should post this one. You should also put this one out. If you send me the files, I'll give you a finished file in about 30 minutes and you can post you got, it today. You got AI that edits for you or you just got the squad? <laughs> Dude, just because I'm quiet sometimes doesn't mean I'm, I don't have my shit together. <laughs> like we, We've got an awesome team. You freaking okay. transfer me that MP4 file and both of our audio files. I'll, I'll get you a finished result. Uh, we transfer back do it. to you in, in about 45 minutes. All right, guys. I I will we transfer this to Dud because I'm going right on to another pod. Um, but I'm going to sign off live and on this pod. And I'm going to tell John right now, thank you for your continuous support. John called me a couple weeks ago out of the blue. And I'm not going to tell you the details of the conversation, but you know what it was about, John. And I just appreciate you always having my back. So I can just be like, hey, dude, this is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But yeah, the reason I wanted to do it is because I'm passionate about this. I want people ready for hunting season, dude. 
Let's Amen. get people ready for hunting season. Let's let people forget about all this shit and just mm-hmm. take their bows and go outside for the next two weeks and shoot freaking groups, check your broadheads, get your sights dialed and just notch tags in love archery. That's what I want. I'm notching tags. John's notching tags and so are y'all. All right, we're going to get this out today or tomorrow or ASAP. I appreciate you guys. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. At the end of every podcast, I'm going to rattle off some discount codes if you're in the market to save some loot. Support the cast. Here we go. Vortex Optics. Go to eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. Vortex wear 20% off any of their apparel. Discount code is ELK SHAPE. On X Elite Membership. Discount code Elkshape, 20% off. Become an elite member. It's a no-brainer. Peaks Equip, we're talking gators, tripods, headlamps, shelters, and more to come. Discount code Elkshape, 10% off. MagView, digiscoping, discount code Elkshape, 10% off the S1B1 Made in America Lifetime Warranty. Wilderness Athlete, discount code is Elkshape, 2023, 20% off. Look up the Elkshape stacks. Stealth Cam, 20% off non-cellular. The discount code is Elkshape, 20. And 10% off cellular. Cellular, get the deceptor discount code elk shape 10 back your e-bike discount code elk shape 300 off blackovis.com anything under the sun elk shape is 10 percent off plus free shipping sheep feet 10 percent off discount code elk shape fatty meat sticks 10 percent off discount code elk hunter all one word crossover symmetry 20 percent off bulletproof your shoulders discount code elk shape and finally canvas cutter it's what i use i spend 30 nights a year in discount code oak shape takes 10 percent off you guys have a great rest of your week we'll catch you next week take care